Tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney Plus. TV, comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. Hi, this is Peter Riegert, and I'm on Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal podcast. Listen in. Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a producer, actor, songwriter, activist, TV personality, and one of the most prolific and sought-after comedy writers in the history of the entertainment business. As a performer, you've seen him in movies like Mahogany, The Morning After, You Don't Mess With the Zohan. (laughs) (laughs) You don't mess with the title. (laughs) And... And the Aristocrats. Yes. I'm I'm familiar with that mm-hmm. one. As well as hit TV shows such as The Nanny, The <laughs> Simpsons, The Martin Short Show, RuPaul's Drag Race, Hollywood Squares. Well, uh, another one I think I've caught. <laughs> as well as the Broadway production of Hairspray in the role of Edna Turnblad. As a writer, he's contributed to dozens of specials and award shows, including Comic Relief, the Primetime Emmy Awards, the Tony Awards, the People's Choice Awards, and the American Comedy Awards, as well as an impressive 23 Academy Award telecasts. He's also taken home six Emmy Awards himself for his writing. But wait, there's more. (laughs) He's also wrote some of the most iconic, for lack of another word, variety shows and specials of the 1970s, including the Donnie and Marie Show. Yes. The Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Oh, yes. The Paul Lynn Holly 
Halloween special. <laughs> and I'll last, that out. but definitely not least, the Star Wars holiday special. The religious experience. In a career spanning five decades, he's written joke songs and special material for such artists as Cher, Carol Burnett, Billy Crystal, Steve Martin, Nathan Lane, Lily Tomlin, and of course his longtime friend and muse, Bette Midler. He's even had the honor of working with beloved entertainer Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> Please welcome to the show an artist of many talents mm. and a man who delights in the fact that he once got Marie Osmond to sing Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Our pal Bruce Valanche. <laughs> And the Mormons have never recovered. <laughs> Bruce is so sharp, he knows the jokes that are coming in the intro yes. before they come. I, he's I never seen it. it. To anyone who will who will listen. <laughs> he's, like, he's like six seconds ahead <laughs> of, of the jokes I, in his intro. I actually just told somebody that story the other night that, about how that happened. Marie? The, Marie. The yeah. Marie story. And, yeah. It was, it was the, the Mormon censors. Who are really the 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 worst? They're worse than the, the network. The censors. elders, the elders. Yeah. The network censor has nothing to do. She's counting the strobe lights to see if it's going to put epileptics into seizures. <laughs> the Mormon censors are saying, "Oh no, you mentioned coffee. Oh God, no, you mentioned tea. You oh yeah, they couldn't say caffeine. Oh, you couldn't right. say caffeine. Everybody had a milk break on right. the Dottie and Marisha. Right. And so it was. I mean, every lyric that uh, that came came along, they um. They censored. They and they and I kept bringing in songs for Marie to do, and they'd say, "Oh, she can't sing that. That's just too." Uh, it was an Ira Gershwin song called "Treat Me Rough," and they said, "Oh no, it's 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 too salacious about getting knocked around by by your lovers." And so Ira Gershwin wrote a new lyric for her, and they said, "No, it's still too too much." And I I couldn't. I said, Ira, "Ira Gershwin, the Ira Gershwin is you know right." Oh well, it doesn't matter. It's just she can't possibly do it. So then I uh, I brought in "Coming from the Rain," which was uh, oh I love that. My friend Melissa Manchester yeah, and Carol Sager song. had just written, and they said, "What's well, about a woman who accepts her husband when he philanders?" I don't know where they got that from. I mean, from that lyric, it's just a lover song. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and uh, and they said that she couldn't possibly do it. So out of desperation, I brought in "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me." That they loved. <laughs> Oh, oh, that Elton John. Oh, he's so peppy and so upbeat. What, what a sweet message. And so I was sitting in the booth with the network censor, Mrs. Futterman, who looked the way she sounded. Mrs. Futterman. Yeah, she, you know, she weighed in. She was, she was on the heavy side, at the plus size. The, you know, Melissa McCarthy will do her movie. And the owl's eyeglasses, and we're sitting there, and, and Maria's singing, don't let the sun go down on me. And she's shaky. She's like... You got away with it, didn't you? It was beautiful. Beautiful. The Mormons were just kind of, oh, this is wonderful. The irony is you were, you were brought in in part to adult her up. Well, I was actually. Yeah. I was really, I was formally brought in when she turned 18 because right. they wanted to uh, make her more adult. Exactly right. Bob Mackie was brought in to give her dresses. Wow. Like, you know, he, he gave her the, uh, you know. Bob worked with a woman named Elizabeth Courtney, and she built all of his costumes. And the, one of the tricks to the Bob Mackie costume is it's what's called a Moliere bodice. It's whalebone. It's a corset. 
And so it's like early version of Spanx. It pushes everything in. And then at the top of the corset are cups for your boobs. And so you take whatever boob you have and you put it in those cups and you look like you have gigantic boobs. And so he did that for everybody. So people who were really not known for their boobs, you know, suddenly, oh, my God, she's bodacious. Look at her. And that was part of they wanted that for Marie. They wanted her to have that. These same Mormons who would not let her sing Ira Gershwin. Treat me right. I wrote her talk show, the morning talk show she did with Donnie, the syndicated show. And I found her to be a bit randy. Oh, well, now she has eight kids. Yeah. You know, she we all went to her wedding. We all flew to Utah to the wedding because it happened while she was. She married the basketball player. I remember. And we were all, we got there and we discovered that we couldn't go inside because we were all Jews. Oh, God, jeez. Because they kept hiring Jews because in variety television in those days, you know, you, the more Jews in the room, the funnier the show. So there was a whole, a whole passel of Jews had flown up and we all were in the courtyard of the Mormon Tabernacle sitting on lawn furniture listening to the thing of, uh, there while the Mormons were in the Tabernacle. Incredible. Yeah. So, so then they, she got. Then she really got yeah. Donnie too. Once they were uh, freed of being a, a Mormon kid, he was a prankster, and she was a little ha- on the handsy side. Yes, yeah. right. So when did? How did you find <laughs> out? And when did you find out that Jews were, weren't allowed in the Mormon? Temple? That was the day. Nobody had told us. We flew up for the wedding, and they said, "Oh, well, you can't come in." By the way, we've organized a lawn party for you. And we sat out there, and Art Fisher was the director of the show, and he was a big Jew, and he was, and he was in love with Marie. I mean, we, I think, first of all, I think he wanted to marry her, and and they said, under no circumstances, you know, could you possibly go near this this girl, and uh, and they married her off to this the the basketball coach, or the basketball player. He was a star, like BYU, and then they, they had kids, and then she took the unprecedented step of getting divorced. I remember, which you just don't do. And then years later, she came back to him yes. finally after yes. after a bunch of other adventures. But that, so we we you know we we figured okay we'll we, we'll kind of respect you know I'd always said that uh, uh, we all had to respect each other's uh, religions. I mean, at the beginning, the very beginning, uh, uh, Mother Osmond Olive, Olive, who looked a bit like Mrs. Futterman actually, Olive Osmond <laughs> came into my office, and I was you know. Drinking a Bloody Mary, and uh, it was it was the seventies, and I was on the phone with my drug dealer looking up. I had the the physician's desk reference, so he could mention a drug, and I could look it up right there. And she came in, and she looked, and she said, uh, "Oh, she said uh, uh, smoking and drinking, and oh, this is your bo- your body is a temple. Just how can you desecrate your body this way?" And I looked at her and I said, mixing meat with milk, you heathen. Toy! (laughs) (laughs) And she abruptly left. And I thought, that's it, I'm done here. But no, they figured we need the Jews. Gotta have Jews. (laughs) Comedy. Can't have comedy without Jews. The Jews. So we're not getting rid of him. But it was like that. It was at that point it was like, okay. Literally, you go to your church and I go to mine. (laughs) And I won't do I won't mock yours if you won't mock mine. And we would just cheerfully mock each other's. Wow. <laughs> and there's a famous Valance story that uh, Donnie Osmond, when he was about five or something, <laughs> said to you, oh, you look like a big Muppet. It was the first day on the, sh- on the show. Yes. He came into my office to meet me. And he looked at me and I had a huge beard and a lot of hair. I was very 
a, a unibomber in my look. <laughs> and I was <laughs> large, larger than I am now. And uh, behind it, there wasn't a desk that fit. They had to go down to KTLA and get the news anchor desk and bring it up from my desk. So I was a huge, I was a formidable presence, and and but fluffy, <laughs> and, you know, and kind of squishy and cute. And he came in and looked at me, and he said, "You look just like a Muppet." And I said, "It's the funniest thing." Jim Henson had his hand up my ass not ten minutes ago. <laughs> I think I, I think I said fist up my up my ass. Not 10 minutes. <laughs> And there was this pause, this long pause, and he started giggling and also doing what turned out to be the moonwalk, you know, backing out of the office uh-huh. while giggling. And I thought, okay, I'm done here. I always thought I was done there, you know. I thought I'd never survive. And uh, and then he decided I was okay. You know, I was I was one of them. I wasn't one of them. I was one of them. I was like an ally because he was always looking for uh, people who would enable him to get out from under the family because it was, the family was completely suffocating. I mean, these kids had only known the family. And when I say the family, I mean everything, religion, family, business, show business, all was one great big ball of wax that was the Osmond uh, Empire. And those kids were a part of it, and there was no escaping. They lived together, and they worked together, and they did everything as a a unit. And so anybody who could, like, spring him from that for an hour to go get his face sanded uh, was was the the ally. Mm -hmm. And and Marie was like that, too, except they were—she had to fight her way in because they didn't want her to be—she was supposed to be a good Mormon housewife. And they had, like, 14 kids, one of them a girl. And— they didn't want her to, you know, to do it. They were promoting Jimmy. I remember who, Jimmy. Who was at the, sure. at the time. They said, sure. isn't he wonderful? I would Little say. Jimmy Osmond. They said, yeah, he, he looks like they let the air out of Wayne Newton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was then. Then I got, I mean, subsequently I got friendly. He became a, a TV producer, and I was in a TV movie that he, he produced. No kidding. Yeah, I played uh, Santa's Elf. It's called uh, It Nearly Wasn't Christmas. How nice you've Charles, both played elves. Charles Durning was Santa Claus, and I was the elf on steroids. I was all little people. All the other elves were little people. We shot the whole thing in, guess where? Utah! <laughs> <laughs> where Jimmy Osmond built a studio in Orem, Utah. And we all, the Jews flew up. To, to, a plane load of Jews would fly up every week to do the show. What was Durning like, as long as you've mentioned? Durning was so, Somebody we love to talk he about on this show. He was hysterical, and he was... Uh, a great raconteur, and he uh, and he was a wonderful actor and a very naturalistic, and um, was not one of these actors who uh, <laughs> who spent a lot of time on process. He, if he did, it was privately. He got to the set and he was just kind of uh, kind of ready to go. I mean, and and you would we'd rehearse it, and then right before they would we would do the take, he'd say, "Is that how you're going to do it in the in the take? The way you did it in the rehearsal?" <laughs> and I wasn't sure if you say you wanted to make sure or you didn't like what I did in the rehearsal. But we, because at that point they said, and action. So we would play this. So this was just his, you right. know. Right. Was he bust, busting balls? Oh, uh, no, no. No, he, he was, was serious. Great. There was a, a girl, a child actress in the thing. She was local, uh, which by local in Utah means they brought her in from Denver because they were cheaper than flying. Right. Her from, so, so, and she was... Uh, she was good, but she was like a bratty kid. And uh, 
And we were driving home uh, from the set the first day that she worked, and he said, you know, I, I met her this morning, and I thought, what a cute little kid. And now I've worked with her all day, and fuck, it's Faye Dunaway. Wow. <laughs> so he, he uh, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, he, he absolutely brooked no trap. We love uh, character actors on the show. We love to talk about oh. people like him and Jack Warden and who Gilbert's worked with. He never worked with Durning, Gilbert. I know. I no. would have loved Oh, he was. He was. He had great. Um, we, we also had war stories. He had literal war stories. Oh, I know. He had, yes. he I know. But he fought in the war and he yeah. killed people and yeah. he was. He carried this tremendous guilt around. That's what we heard. Because uh, he said, everybody who I killed was a kid. He said they were like teenage soldiers by the time I got over there and they were fighting the last stand. And he said it was heartbreaking because I would be close enough to actually shoot them. And I had to. It was him or me. And since the kid, it was always a kid, I knew he would shoot me. So I had to shoot him wow. first. And but he, you know, I'm doing a very abbreviated, of course, of course, version of it. But I mean, with Charles Durning telling you this, you know, I mean, it's Charles. He Durning. must have liked you because my understanding was that he did not like talking about that to anyone. Oh, uh, really? He must yeah. have he must have taken you into and his confidence. I heard that Charles yeah, nice. Durning was among the troops liberating the camps. Yes, too. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he was. When did you guys meet? Do you remember meeting for the first time? Would it have You've walked been together. It might have been Hollywood Squares or it might have been times. at the comedy store one night. No, I, I was never performing, but you, I would have been seeing you. I think that probably it was Hollywood Squares. Yeah. I mean, or some other award show, you know, maybe the Comedy Awards, maybe Schlaughter. Oh, oh that's right. I used Schlaughter. to do oh, The night you pissed Schlaughter off by, by going on and doing the, you that, did something. That, that one they, they wrote for me and I did it and I. I, it wasn't funny to begin with. I see. Was this where you were stuck in the podium? Was no, that? no. This was. I, I you did, this, didn't you do this, a bit about Pee Wee Herman? No, it had to do. <laughs> this was that was on the Emmys. Oh, where they uh, got pissed off. Okay. This had to do with, uh, you know, wearing the red ribbon, the mm. AIDS ribbon. And I thought in the middle of a comedy show. Oh, they wanted everybody to wear that. Yeah, they. I remember that. Yeah. And I remember that didn't do, and I remember that while I was up there thinking, eh, they'll never have me back. <laughs> and and I didn't write that thing. They yeah. handed it to me. I don't think I did either. There were a bunch of us writing on it, but were I wrote you, on all, a lot of those shows. Were you present for the famous uh, You Fool uh, oh, yeah. recurring gag? I was on up the, there, absolutely. You were on the, you were on the board? Great. Up I was on, up on, on the, the grid. On the grid? Yes, I was. And- a pen, right? Was were pen yeah, I know. Teller what, I think Whoopi was in. He Whoopi first was up there. Started doing. He first did it, and then yeah. I just started doing it after right, yeah. each joke, and then right. I was like the entire show. It was, but it was a guy who kept kept getting it wrong. The, That's great. The, uh, the contestant. I mean, every answer. He and the would, woman. She. They, yes. they went back and forth. They went back and forth. Yeah. They, everyone, and we were bluffing them every time. Yes. And they went for it every time. Yes. And so it was, you fool. Yeah. <laughs> it was so obvious. Yeah. yeah. But yes, I I was. I don't know that I got, that she actually called on me. But, you know, in Hollywood Square, it's like they call on you if you're strategically where they need to be. I mean, they, they some people they would never call on and they only will call on them if they have to use it to win or block. So. Yeah, and I think with that show, I was the only one left. They had to get through me. Yeah. 
And uh, that's so, right. So it was like I was the right. entire show. And they yeah. kept missing, and so the next yeah. one would have to go to him again. Yeah. 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 So it was like six jokes in a row or something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's a legendary one, at and least you know, among us, among it, aficionados of the square. Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> it's funny. Growing up, I would watch Hollywood Squares, and I always liked it, and I always laughed. But I remember growing up thinking, oh, this has got to be the, <laughs> the bottom of everyone's career, yeah. doing Hollywood. And then when they offered it to me i i had so much fun on that show it was great well you know it was on 14 years the first time and it was a network show and uh i think by the end it, it had become i think a lot of people thought that's what it was and then it came back in the 80s for five years yeah. and then it, then our version well, that was came the john back. davidson version the john yeah, davidson yeah. and john rivers and yeah and wrote way one didn't matter i really remember that and then uh um and then then our version came back which was like you know with Whoopi, it was sort of like uh, star lo- loaded and the idea was that she would attract big names and you know, to a degree she did I mean a lot of people use it as a vehicle to promote stuff And did you audition to host the show <laughs> I did yeah yes I actually did they um, she suggested I host the show and they all said oh well she's nuts but uh, we can't piss her off this early in the game <laughs> I could see so that. They, they auditioned me, and, and uh, you know, and there I was with all these other hosty types. Right. And this one's for the win, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, "Well, you know, we you ha- we like your energy. We're going to we want to put you in a square." And I thought, I mean, my friends were producing the show, and so they you know they liked me, and they they wanted me to be in a square. But uh, I thought that King World that owned the show wanted me because they I think they thought I might tame her. You know, I might like. Because I'd be, they put me next to her so that she and I could, like, you know, chat. Right. And have something going on camera and off camera. And, of course, they, you know, you can't tame that. I mean, we used to joke that uh, they they mistakenly, they didn't realize that she is basically a, a Jewish gay guy and I am basically a black woman. <laughs> <laughs> Ask anybody who has slept with me and you will know. <laughs> and And you worked with... Uh, someone, uh, Paul, you know, well, Paul Lynn. Yeah, I worked with Paul. Now, he was a legendary Jew hater, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. He? <laughs> well, you know, he was, Paul, on one drink was wonderful, and on two drinks, he was the Wansi Conference. He was the Luftwaffe High Command. <laughs> Hilarious. He was, you know, <laughs> you lousy kike, how you fucked me over, you goddamn cunt. And he it just and so you the goal was to keep him on one drink and not to get the second glass of wine because it was all and, and the Jews were like every, the, the cause of all of his troubles and of course he was surrounded by Jews his managers were two Jews incredible Ray Katz and Sandy Gallen and everybody in his in, significant in his life were Jews but the other reason he was he was annoyed was he um, he always felt that he was a he was a big star and had made a lot of money, but he, he'd come up in New York with other people. Charlie Ray. Well, yeah, yeah, but specifically Woody Allen and Mel Brooks had become movie stars. Oh, I see what you mean. And Paul was always like the guy, Rock Hudson's psychiatrist. Right. You know, or the, the next door neighbor to to Doris Day or someone like that. And uh, basically it started with Bye Bye Birdie, which was his biggest acting role. Um, where he played the harassed father, you know, the suburban dad. And uh, 
And he never got to where they were, and it just pissed him off and decided it's because they were Jews. And I kept, <laughs> I kept saying to him, they write their own material. Come up with stuff, and they make their movies. Yes, that's a good they point. Are, you know, they are two filmmakers, and they generate their own stuff, and it's not because they're Jews. It's because they're brilliant and they're funny, and uh, and they have this other skill set that you know you don't have aside from the fact that you know, Paul was a, a great flavor. I mean, he was he right. was exhibited best on the squares because he would come in, would do that the one line and get out. And it's it's hard to carry something when he they gave him a sitcom. Oh, the temperature's rising. Yeah, well, yeah. that was the second one. Oh, right, Paul Lynch, Paul Lynch show, show, which had a huge first week, and the second week was half the first week because right. he didn't really carry. You know, it's very hard for the antic character to be the central character in a sitcom because basically you have to have a cool character who is surrounded by colorful people. I mean, think Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Newhart. Moore. New heart. I right. mean, those are the things that, that right. work. It's rare that you get uh, Archie Bunker. I mean, it, uh, that was a, a magical combination. But, he, I mean, Maud was too hot to last, you know, as a soul, the center of the thing. And Paul was just uh, the wrong guy to be the centerpiece of a show. But great when you'd see him like as Uncle Arthur exactly on Bewitched. Right. Exactly when he right. had, could so, come in steel scene. Yeah. So, um, so it did, that never happened. And they bought him out and put him on Donnie Marie. As a regular, at the salary he would have gotten had he been doing his own show. So he was making a ton of money. And then we would do specials, but they were special by the nature of it. And we would surround him with funny people. And so he wouldn't have to be on that much. You know, we'd have Betty White and, and right, uh, right, right. other people around him doing things. Lawrence Henderson. Florence, well, Florence, yeah, exactly. We had that Halloween show with everybody. I'm glad you got there because we yeah, were going to get there eventually. No, it was, I mean, <laughs> and Kiss. You know, and uh, um, and witches. He was a witch, and, and he, he didn't know who Kiss Margaret was. Margaret Hamilton is the wicked That's witch of the west. I was going to ask you and about her. Witchy poo. Billy Hayes. Billy Hayes. We had all. We had witches. We had Tim Conway. We had Roz Kelly. Pinky Tuscadero. <laughs> yes. We had every. I mean, we had about twelve guest stars on that show. So it was, he was well protected. And and who came first, Paul Lynn or Alice Ghost? Well, everybody when they came together, although probably yeah. not in the same room. They, they, <laughs> they were both, I believe, in New Faces of Fifty Two, and Leonard Silman discovered them both and put them in the show. And they were, and what I, I was too young to have seen it. And the movie, there's a movie of it, but it, you don't really get the flavor of them too much. You you can't figure I mean they, the claim always was one of them imitated the other and that and that they became the same person as it went along. But uh I, I never was sure who it was the funniest of all is that I mean like Paul has been dead for forty years. If he th- has knew he been forty already? Nineteen eighty one or eighty two. Wow. And uh, uh, if he thought that we would be talking about him, he would be stunned because in his mind he hadn't made it. He hadn't done anything. He'd made money, but he hadn't become an icon. That, an icon. Yeah. Uh, that figure. And, he and would now be, he is. He would be absolutely amazed. Watching that Paul Lynn special, first of all, I mean, you, you're <laughs> yeah. talking about the assortment of drugs. 
Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you said Tim Conway, Betty White, Kiss. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it, it's it's the perfect 70s TV special. He's a, he's a trucker, right? It's he's like a trucker at one point, trucker. and he's covered in rhinestones, because I guess <laughs> the it's rhinestone a, I, trucker. Yeah, I guess it's a Clint Campbell, the, the yeah, show, was, song was on the right. charts, and then he and he and Tim Conway fight over Pinky Tuscadero right. in a, over, in a yeah. trucker bar. I mean, it's unbelievable. I bet I'm having a better time than you are. Oh, yeah? Uh, do you think you could uh, teach me to do that? I don't know. Give me a little whistle. That's too little. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what you do. All you got to do is follow me everywhere. Shake it up, shake it down. Move it in, move it round. Down, move it in, move it round, disco baby. Move it in, move it out, move it in and about, disco baby. Shake it, baby, shake it, baby, shake your thing. Shake it, baby, shake it, baby, shake your thing. You gotta move it. We feel like moving. It's such a key. And he didn't know who Kiss was? Is that true? He didn't know who Kiss was. <laughs> he didn't know who Kiss was. <laughs> and, uh... Gilbert, you've but seen it, yes? He didn't, Yo, know, yes. He didn't know who Kiss was, but he, uh... He... We, he was profoundly depressed when, when they brought over the president of their fan club. And that was Ringo's daughter. Oh, interesting. Way back then. And he knew who Ringo was. And he was kind of like, he has, she, he has a daughter. She's old <laughs> enough to do this. <laughs> and that made him feel old. But at the, at the time we were shooting the thing, I mean, he didn't know who anybody was really, except like you know, from golden age people. Um, but Roots had been, was on. And it was a huge success, gigantic <laughs> success. And we were standing outside, because I think they had just passed a cigarette law. We were standing outside the soundstage smoking. And Paul was in a cape and a witch's hat <laughs> smoking. And LeVar Burton, who played Quinta sure. Quinte, walked by with a little entourage of people because he was going to do, I don't know, Live with Regis or something like that that used to be on that lot. And he's walking by, and, and he sees Paul. And Paul, of course, doesn't remember his name. It just looks at him and goes, Roots! Hilarious. <laughs> 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 much to his credit, LeVar Burton just burst out laughing. Cause <laughs> what else so, can you here's do? Here's a guy in a wizard outfit. Roots! <laughs> 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 that voice. What was Margaret Hamilton like? She was adorable. Yeah. She was, a, a, at the, that point, a very old lesbian. Yes. You know, <laughs> a lesbian. She's a lesbian, and she had, of course, lived on the down low for many years. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. And uh, she was living in Gramercy Park here in New York, and uh, she was pretty frail, and she didn't come out much, but 
she just couldn't resist this, the, the opportunity to do this thing and with Billy Hayes, who she admired a lot. Right, she thought be, right. it would be like her uh, kind of swan song to just do uh, The Wicked Witch of the Wisp one more time. And she was she was just really funny and, of course, you know, told all the stories and, and uh, everybody flocked to her and, and all that. But I did get a kick out of her because every now and again, uh, you know, there would like some gorgeous girl would walk by and she would nudge me in the elbow. <laughs> Give me her number, would you? <laughs> I love it. But I'm sorry, she's dating Marjorie Maine. <laughs> Marjorie Maine. <laughs> well, Marjorie Maine was another lesbian. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aware. Hey guys, everyone's away on summer vacation, but we still have to record those commercial breaks. So here's Gilbert knocking one out in his bathroom. I'm assuming. Hi, I'm Rosanna Arquette, and you're here listening to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Live from Nutmeg Post, we now return to Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Podcast. And you did that that very surreal Star Wars oh, yeah. holiday oh, yeah. special. I did. We had Steve Binder in here Steve too. Steve Binder. Yeah. Well, he was called in. I know he was the second guy. He was, yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, He's it oddly was proud of it, by the way. Well, you know, we, we look. First of all, it was the seventies. So we were we were on everything really, <laughs> but skateboards. I mean. <laughs> We could have been if we could if we if we had had any balance left from all the weed we smoked. But I mean, if we thought that forty years later we'd be talking about it, we would have paid closer attention. I mean, it was uh, in the the world of television. It was not unusual to do something insane uh, just to get the audience's uh, attention. You know, uh, Wayne Newton at Sea World. I mean, did you write Wayne Newton at Sea World? I did. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Cole Porter in Paris, starring Connie Stevens. <laughs> It was just who you want to hear sing Cole Porter oh in Paris. God. Oh, a great woman. I'm a friend of hers and I'm a fan. But yeah. I mean, it just, but that was the kind of show, know. you know. Stephen Eady sing the Beatles. This was, yeah. you know. And so this was, it wasn't so unusual. Sure. Because you would do this thing and it would have a theme and then you would load it up with uh, stars. You were cross promoting things like it was a CBS show. So it was full of uh, Harvey Corman and originally Cher. But um, uh, she'd had a little surgery and she couldn't do it. And so Diane Carroll, who fit into the costume. That She's Bob the Mack fantasy. Was, was the, the fantasy yes. sequence. Which, by the way, uh, was the first. She was the fantasy of one of the Wookiees. Yes. Uh, and he was <laughs> yes. wearing a VR uh, yeah. helmet, yeah. which yeah. George kind of came up with. And now they exist. Wow. A virtual reality helmet. And it would plug in and, you would, and your fantasy would be realized. And she was his fantasy realized. I can't remember if it was itchy or lumpy. Was uh, it was the grandpa. Who oh, it was, was grandpa. Itchy. Lumpy right, was the right, kid. That's right. And uh, <laughs> Itchy had the uh, fantasy. So it was the first interracial interspecies romance on network television. <laughs> Where is my NAACP image award? Yes. I ask you. <laughs> we one. broke ground. <laughs> it, it was a double header, not merely racial, but special. <laughs> what did you describe the Wookiee language as? sound of well i said the wookies uh, they sound like uh, fat people having orgasms. right <laughs> trust me i know 
my and, favorite. And, <laughs> that was hi, honey. I'm home. And and the Wookies, they had a strange description of what they looked like. Uh, uh, I did really. Well, there was well, one in particular. I think that he's alluding to that George Lucas referred to. What, one did, of them. Did you, well, Cunface was. Yeah, that's that the one. Cunface. <laughs> Cunface was. Cunface was not a Wookiee. Cunface oh. was an alien. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. George, I don't want to George had, by the wrong I made name. the same well, mistake. George had done. Uh, uh, I have to explain that they um, the they're uh, they're on their way home to the Wookiee planet, <laughs> Chewbacca, and he's in the the Millennium Falcon with Han Solo. And Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker, and they stop off on the planet Tatooine, where the cantina. That 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 yeah, that, sure. that 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 that's the cantina, and all these aliens are there. And uh, George had shot the Empire, but it was editing it, and so he had a whole bunch of new aliens, but he didn't want to uh, use them on the show, and he didn't want to design build new aliens. So we used uh, remainder aliens. We went to the alien warehouse. And pulled out the aliens that had not made the cut yeah. in the first two movies. And they were all like Elmer's glue all and scotch tape. And, and those were the aliens. Because and one of them was like a huge vagina on <laughs> your shoulders. And a kind of nondescript you know, a, a space captain outfit. And, but, and George has this, there's a vaginal leap motif in those movies. <laughs> You know, yeah. in the Empire, there's a huge vagina that almost that swallows Jabba the Hutt. Oh, yes. And Carrie's holding on, but yes. she's got handcuffs, and yes. she almost goes. It's a big hole in the desert that looks like the third a one. Big old Jedi. Yeah. Big old JJ. And, <laughs> and <laughs> the prototype, I think, was was this puppet, this uh, this head that we called we called him Cunface, and he w- he made the cut. He was uh, on our show because we just said you know we can't, we have to. We even even the censor let us use him. And then it was like he had to be there while B. Arthur. B. was sang. singing a song. Yeah, yeah. she yeah. wanted the song, right. right? B. was Maud at the time, and she had um, come from Broadway, where she had won the Tony for Mame as Vera Charles, and she had been the original Yenta the Matchmaker in Fiddler, and she wanted to sing. And uh, she she brought in a song that she wanted to sing, and she was it was you know the dark alien bar, and she decided that she was the kind of Brechtian bartender, the woman who runs the thing, and she was very Statue of Liberty, you know, standing there with, mm-hmm. her, with her beer stein, and she wanted to sing the Alabama song <laughs> by Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weill. Oh, show me the way to the next whiskey <laughs> bar. Oh, don't ask why. Oh, and it ends with, I tell you, I will die. I tell you, I will die. And she said, this is my Brecht vile number. And I said, it's B, it's your vile Brecht number is what it is. But, Very good. But we should, you know, and, and uh, we had to clear it with Bertolt Brecht's estate. And they said, what are you, nuts? <laughs> You see, for this, so she should sing this thing on television with, with the alien, with the cunt face. So, so we had Ken and Mitzi oh, Welch, who had written all of those Carol Burnett oh, yes. medleys. Sure, they're and they wrote a piece of special material that was a sort of homage to Brecht and Vile. Uh-huh. And uh, it was, I forget what the song was, but it was kind of like, it also was a lot like Those Were the Days, my friend. Yeah, I didn't write it down, but. Uh, It was one of those kinds of songs. And so it was a a bit more up than (laughs) the Alabama song. Uh, And B B sang it. And and Cunface was part of the uh, the group (laughs) behind her. And these, it was 123 degrees and these guys, uh, 
in the heads were like were boiling and they would keep uh, passing out. And every time one passed out and had to be taken away, I would move Cunface closer to B. <laughs> Hilarious. And so finally it was like a two shot with her and, and Cunface. <laughs> At the end of the thing, and she's singing it to him. Whose idea was it to put Harvey Corman in drag as a Julia Child type? I don't know. Type? Well, I remember it may have been mine, or it may have been Rod Warren, who was one of the writers, or Lenny Rips, uh-huh. or Pat Prof. They were all writers on the uh-huh. show. And, you know, in, in a stone session, who knows? Right, right. Uh, but we knew we had to use Harvey because Harvey was on the Burnett show, which was a big CBS show, and part of it was across, working the CBS people uh, in. Yeah, right. Um, and so we were trying to think of somebody funny Harvey would do. And Harvey, of course, loved to do drag. He loved to do the big bosom. Bo- and the big bosom You know, yeah. as the stomach turns. Yes. And uh, uh, and so we thought it would be funny to have him as Julia. There were a lot of people doing Julia Child. Dan Aykroyd sure. did the very funny one with all the blood, which, sure. of course, we couldn't do. But we had to do a different one. So we had, we said, let's make Julia Child an alien and have her with cooking with eight arms so she can do a million different things. You've brought it up to Lucas over the years when you've run into him. Oh, he he walks away. Walks away. Whenever I see him, he just you know, head goes and, down. He doesn't want to be <laughs> Don't want to talk about it. Yeah, for the, a long time, you, nobody knew about it, and then the internet happened. Yeah. And what happened was a, a generation of, of kids who had watched the first three, which are, of course, now the second three, they watched the first three Star Wars movies on video and knew everything about it and uh, took, took it as a religion discovered through the internet that there was this other thing that they had never known about that George had actually been involved in that they then of course had to had to get it study and and they were betrayed they felt how could he have done this how could he have lowered himself to this vaudeville <laughs> with this thing which is kind of like you know the mishnah <laughs> yeah they take <laughs> it very reading. seriously it's the talmud these three movies so they, they began writing him serious hate mail, and, and uh, so he, he was appalled because he really thought it was dead and buried. Nice thing to be a part of, though. A nice part of pop culture history to have been a part of. Oh, yeah. yeah from your and standpoint. And then author at the end of her song, yeah. she, like, hits her big note and swings her yeah, arm. Yeah, she swung her, well, she swung her arm and she knocked Cunface, <laughs> and he went over. And... She turned to the camera and she said, I've never hit a man in the cunt before. <laughs> what would you kill to be on that set, Gilbert? And oh, of my course, God. The whole thing got cut and we had to reshoot the number. And- <laughs> I just want to, I said one, one other thing about the Paul Lynn Halloween special. And by the way, I just watched it again. I own it on the, on, on, uh, DVD. It makes me happy. Like the Marty Allen song makes yeah. you happy. Oh, yes. I, every year people say, oh, we, we watch it ritually. Oh, it's just great. It's, and yeah. Billy Barty. Oh, yeah. We didn't we didn't ask you about. Mm. It is so surreal. Yeah, it's wonderful. It yeah. is. It is incredibly surreal. Julie Newmar told me a story. Isn't it Julie Newmar? Sure, we had her on here. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. She told me a story about a, a, a Billy Barty story. She said that they, they worked together on something and he said to her, um, he said to her, I want to eat your pussy. And she said, if you do and I hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And, and, you know, we've had many, we used to have, uh, we always had something that we would put in for the censor to cut out, and it was always Billy Barty walking over to some tall creature and saying, I want to go up on you. Hilarious. You know, and it was never failed. you worked on that show, 
that I I remember I watched it recently and thought this must be what hell looks like. And that was the Brady Bunch Brady Hour. Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Oh, it was, actually, we had a lot of fun, but it was yeah. like Sid and Marty. What was it? That was uh, that was Sid and Marty. Yeah, Sid and Marty Croft. Plus, they. I remember one of them that I watch. They were all in, of course, spandex. Yes, yeah. that was and uh, costumes ugly by seventy standards. Oh God! And they did. And now we're going to do a tribute to disco. Always. Always. <laughs> they also did a disco number to end the Paul Lynn special. That's right. With Billy Barty. Right. And, mm-hmm. and they sing like Staying Alive a, or something. I, well, it was, that was, it was very popular then. Yeah. But, uh, at at the, all the Sid and Marty shows, uh, Earl Brown was a writer of special material who was actually quite brilliant. And uh, he had a... Christmas present for everybody, and it was uh, a framed a, a a glass frame, and inside there was uh, a feather and confetti and a balloon, and a little <laughs> note that said "break in case of finale." <laughs> Perfect. Because every one of their shows ended with balloon drops, confetti. Yep, yep. the whole thing. The, the, well, well the Sid was a showman, you yeah. know, going oh, back absolutely. to the Garland stuff. Well, they, they did that show in the image of Donnie and Marie. I mean, you know, Donnie and Marie had ice skaters. They had water ballet. Right, that's right. And uh, there was a guy named Fred Silverman who ran all three sure. of the major networks at the time at one point or another. And he kind of came up with the idea of weird host couplings. And some of them, of course, were huge. Sonny and Cher, Tony Orlando and Dawn. Pink Lady and Jeff. Pink, well, that was one of the you know, disgraces. <laughs> yeah, right. But he had a lot A lot of them really worked. I mean, the very last variety show was Barbara Mandrell and the, the Mandrell, Mandrell sisters, sisters, and that was yeah. the Silverman idea. And both Donnie and Marie and the Brady Bunch were still... Were, uh, he had originally wanted the Partridge family. And both the Partridge family and the Brady Bunch, which were like on in an hour together... Sure, Friday night. Uh, Friday nights. They had both gone out on tour and for their audiences and so he wanted it to be the partridge family because it was an extension of the old partridge family show about these people who do a show and they and they live together and it's a variety show instead of a a sitcom and they didn't want to do it and so he decided the brady bunch should do it so it was about the brady family which you've described as a meta well, it was totally mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Brady family goes to Hollywood to do a TV variety show. The fact that you know they couldn't sing or dance, we called them one to kneel and seven captains. Yes, <laughs> I love that. It's a very seventies reference. I love that. But uh, they had done, uh, you know, they did state fairs and things like that. But they were not like you know a big Vegas act. The, the, they they were not cast for that. But so they were on this show. They had to do all of that. Everything and deal with guest stars and yeah, The Simpsons and, does a wonderful parody. Oh yeah, of the Simpsons Smile I, Time. I hour. remember they dead on in in one of their tributes to disco. They have Rip Taylor. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, Rick, giant, D, Rick D's first singing oh, disco. Yes. We duck. had Rick D singing. Yeah, disco and duck. then he comes on in a big duck out. And so right. does Anby Davis. She's yes, singing and, and yeah. in the same His one, love interest <laughs> rerun. <laughs> Comes out comes in his full rerun outfit. Yep. Well, he was, you know, what it was an ABC show, and what's <laughs> happening was on. He came out with the cast of what's happening. And, yeah, and they were all. <laughs> it, this is my childhood, damn it. One of Tina Turner's first gigs after she left Ike to make some money on her own that was, did not involve him was on the Brady Bunch variety. Wow. wow. I remember her on that Cher special. 
too. Tina uh, Turner, the one with Elton John and Tim Conway. Uh, yeah, yeah. She was where she was solo. Oh yeah, Tina later Turner on, later on. Yeah, yeah. That, around it was right, actually it was right around, around the same, same time. time. There were she had a lot of gigs that she had to do with the, the, where they had bought Ike and Tina, and they weren't interested in Ike solo, but they were interested in her solo, and that was. That we put together an act. Did Robert Reed enjoy doing drag? On he the- actually did. He got a, he 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 Ooh. was so repressed. Uh huh. I think he got to you know work out a whole a whole thing. I'm I'm put him in his Carmen Miranda. <laughs> oh had, He loved he loved in Carmen Miranda. What about guest stars on those shows? By the way, before we jump off, a Milty, uh, Buddy Hackett, uh, Ho- Bob Hope, Vincent Price, anything stand out? I worked with all. Well, Vincent Price was hysterical and really worked. Loved the kids, and uh, he was he played it. You know, our the <laughs> when I tell people this, they don't believe it. But the the mo the model for the show was the old Jack Benny show. You know, where Jack Benny would just say, "Oh, Mary, I'm going next door to Ronald Coleman's to borrow a cup of sugar." <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Yes. Right, yes. right, right, right. Which is that great that sound the radio gag. Mm-hmm. You know, this gag with him where he says, "I'm we're out of sugar. I'm going down." And he says, "I'm going to take a cup and go over and borrow." And you hear footsteps, and you hear footsteps. <laughs> And then you hear footsteps approaching, and then suddenly the footsteps stop, and you hear a quarter going into the cup. <laughs> great. It's a great radio joke. Great. You know that Jack Benny just put the cup out like a beggar. Uh, anyway, so that was the idea was they live in Hollywood, and all their friends are stars. And, and so Vincent Price was the new neighbor at Malibu. Right, the Bradys. Right, the yeah. Bradys. The Bradys right. had, the Bradys are Malibu, and Vincent Price had bought the house next door. <laughs> And was coming over to meet the kids and all. It was just, I forget the rest of it, but it was really, it was a funny episode. I think it may have been like the Halloween episode. Sounds right. But all of those people uh, showed up. Well, they, they, were, I, they were on both shows a lot of on them. On Donnie Marie, yeah, they, they were, yeah. Yeah. well, Hope, you know, would do uh, every show to kind of promote himself. Right. You know, his own specials. But he also, he, he was on Donnie Marie because he loved the kids. Yeah, and Lucille Ball was on Donnie Marie because she uh, she wanted to sing and dance. It was crazy. So you had to write something for the, some things for the guest stars as well. I always, yeah. yeah. They, so you had to deal with Lucy and Red Fox and and Milty and all yes. of these people. And what was Bob Hope's? I think it was Bob Hope's nickname to well, you, to me. Oh, he called me Mansfield. Because <laughs> <laughs> of your long hair, you look like hair. yeah, you look like Jane Mansfield with a dick. This is amazing. <laughs> He and he was, uh, and I wrote for him separately from aside from the show. I I, got, I didn't know that. I, oh, I, yeah, I had a big kick out of writing for him, but um, and and we got yeah, as friendly as he get. You know, he he would uh, it would you you used to just drop you have to drop the jokes off at with the guard at the gate uh-huh. of the house. You know, and I said to Luca Lake, yeah, yeah. I said no, I'm coming over and I want you to hear you do the jokes. And then he would he had a. a a box, like a toolbox, or it was a file cabinet, and he'd pull out jokes, and or and he would they were on cards, and he would deal them like a, a blackjack dealer. And go, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's a beauty, that's good, that's good. And and you realize, you know, we would do, this was a world about gas rationing. And I realized I was competing with writers who'd been dead for years. These were World War Two. Yes, of course. <laughs> that he was going over. over well, because there was another because of the energy yeah. crisis. Oh, it was oh, it was in right. vogue again. I mean, he was uh, he was very funny and very he was very randy and uh uh but I do have to say um 
uh, I called him up and asked him to do a PSA about uh, about AIDS mm-hmm. with Everett Koop, who was the Surgeon General. Right, sure. And he did it, no questions asked. He came and he did it. He said, I'm yours. He said, this is a horrible thing and nobody should have to die from this thing. And this is... Props for Bob Hope. I know. I was, I was I kind of... I mean, the famous, like, right wing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You well, know, Charlton think, Heston marched with Dr. King. So well, you, you, you never know. The same thing. Did you write for George Burns, too? I did write for George Burns. I don't know if I wrote so much. I did write stuff, but I remembered for George. I mean, I... Uh, because uh, he was still doing his act, and he would he would forget, and I, you know, I would I would I was the archivist, you know, I would say, right. well, he used to do this joke about, oh, let's do that, yeah, and we put that in, and you know, we'd meet for breakfast, and then he would take a long nap. But did he, he talk was, about the old acts? Uh, he did. Yeah. He he he. Yeah, Fink's mules. He always Fink's mules. Fink's mules. <laughs> well, did, you were you were you were sitting in when Ron Delsner was here, but did you hear us talking about Swain's rats and cats? No. Okay. Oh, I'm so that was sorry. that was another vaudeville act. Uh, that, that, or, what was Fink's mules? Um, they were uh, trained mules. They were like um, <laughs> they, they would they would do things, and generally, I think a, a gorgeous girl would ride on them, and they would I don't know they would do. He, I'm trying to remember what he told me about them, but they were a lot like, uh, uh, there was an act, Lotta and her horse. And she also, Lotta worked with doves. And her finale would be the doves would fly from the back of the house and land on the back of the horse and at her command. You ever would just think about getting in a time machine and going back and seeing those, va- those just, vaudeville acts or seeing the Marx Brothers all, in vaudeville on stage? Or, when I was with George, one of the things... Uh, uh, the Pointer Sisters were the opening act. Uh-huh. And one of our big jokes was, uh, uh, well, we got here and the uh, stage manager came in and said, George, there is a hole in the wall between your dressing room and the Pointer Sisters dressing room. Should I fill it up with something? And he, he said, nah, let him look. Right. <laughs> so did you work with Benny? I didn't work with him. I, I interviewed him. I was a journalist, oh, yeah. and I interviewed him. And I interviewed him a few times uh, for the Chicago Tribune. He was in town. I don't know. He was going up to Waukegan to do something. They were honoring him. And I interviewed him then. And then he had a book, and he called and asked me to interview him again. We had a good time doing it. And he was. And at the time, they were trying to do, I remember, uh, Hello, Dolly. Merrick thought it'd be funny if they did Hello, Dolly, and he was Dolly and George Burns was Horace. <laughs> and they were going back and forth and back and forth. And he said, well, Benny said, well, you know, I do it, except he won't show up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be standing there in a dress. <laughs> and they tried to do the Sunshine Boys with Benny they and did Burns. Try to, yeah, yeah. And sick. he had many stories about, about Burns and how, how Burns had screwed him over at various public appearances. Well, they shared that manager, right? Uh, Irving Fine, Irving Fine. Father, Irving Fine. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they had they had many. He said uh, he told oh God. Uh, he told a story about um, uh, a fortune cookie dinner where uh, everybody had to read their fortunes, and 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 Burns had had put all these fortunes in, and then like he gave Irene Dunn a fortune to read. Thing I want a dwarf to eat my pussy. <laughs> I mean, that gets up and very fast. I want a dwarf to eat wounds. <laughs> he did that, and he he would did uh, uh, the thing he would always do. He uh, he told me was um, when he would be at a party, and and uh, Jack would uh, 
go to light a cigarette. And George would go, shh, shh, he's going to do the match bit. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. There was no match bit. <laughs> that's funny. It was, he was now with the cigarette and, and the lighter and a match and everybody looking at him. And he was, of course, Jack Benny. What yeah. was he supposed to do? So he just said, and you know, at some level I hated him, but I loved him. I don't think people know this about you too—that you did. You were a journalist and a film they, critic. You know, it's and, uh, and, you, it's, and, and you were a, and they a child made a movie model about too. me twenty years ago called it's a, Get Bruce. It's a good it's, documentary. It's all in there, yeah. produced by Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, you were telling me outside. Who never touched me. <laughs> the doc- me too. I'm starting. Why not me? <laughs> the the doc, doc is was good. so wrong. The doc am is I, good, by the way. Is Rose McGowan that much prettier than I am? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> The doc is good, and your mom shines in it. The mother, as was I was brilliant. saying outside, she and Robin Williams are the stars of the thing. Yeah, and she really, she was really, really funny, and she's very funny in that, particularly. And you were a child model. I was a child model. I was a charming chub, for Lane Bryant. <laughs> it was a very I mean, talk about a niche market. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it didn't go much beyond that. It's all I was in the a doc. child actor too. So, and, and but I never a star. And and another. Uh, rumored to be a Jew hater who you who? worked with, Engelbert Humperdinck. You know, he was great to me. I didn't, I didn't know <laughs> Wait, that. I, I never, heard, never that? heard he was a Jew hater. I, I that heard that bad. twice. Really? <laughs> yeah. But I remember principally with Engelbert was that he was deaf in one ear and, and he couldn't hear the orchestra. And I would say, turn around. Seemed to me to be the most obvious. Thing. We tried to get him here. It didn't, didn't, really? didn't work out. I haven't out. seen him in years and years. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked Love with to him. have we, him. We had fun and it was, but you know, he was resisting. He wanted new stuff, but he was using stuff he'd always, he'd come up with like in, I don't know, English music halls or something like that. And, with, and he also kind of res- <laughs> he resented that he had, he had, he had bought Jane Mansfield's house. Uh-huh. In Holmby Hills, which is now all gone. It's part of the uh, Aaron Spelling estate. But um, uh, one of the things that was in the house was a piano. And he said, it, this is the uh, piano where Cole Porter wrote, uh, they can't take that away from me. And I said, Cole Porter didn't write that yet. <laughs> <laughs> I regurs from it. No, no, I know it was Cole Porter. And he went back and forth about this. And uh, I said, no, it's no, it's, and it, Cole Porter probably wrote nothing on this piece <laughs> because he basically lived in New York. He may have come out here for something and all that. It's but it's not worth it. If they told you that was the song, they were they were making it up. Where did you come up with this? Uh, he loves to talk about anti semites yes. on the show. He loves to talk about which oh. get which of I, our guests I are had Jewish. I heard two different sources. One one was Stewie Stone. Oh well, it wow. must be true. And and he said he was opening for Engelbert yeah, Humperdinck. And Engelbert Humperdinck said that uh, the Jews killed Christ. And and Stewie Stone said he goes, no, it was the Romans. The Jews might have sold them the nails. But- <laughs> Hell. Did Red Fox say you were too dirty? No. Give you jokes that were too dirty for him? He'd give them to you for some for someone oh, else? He, he would. Oh, yeah. He did He did give me one that I gave to Beth that we turned into a selfie Tucker joke. Okay. Um, oh, God. I couldn't read my it? own card. Forgive me. Uh, for, too I dirty for Red Fox. No, it wasn't. Henny Youngman gave me stuff that 
that he had that he had gotten from a Red Fox. Gotcha. And he said it was too dirty. I couldn't do it. And it was uh, one of them was the uh, uh, one of the first Sophie Tucker jokes we did about. Uh, uh, I forget what it was. I, I forget. I remember the punchline. <laughs> You've been munching grass for the last ten minutes. <laughs> it was something about you know. In the semi- I forget. I forget what it was, but. Um, I also, I mean, I, I wrote clean stuff for Red Fox. You that did. That was what was funny, yes. I mean, because Red Fox had had this filthy act. Oh, really yes. Really filthy. And, uh, and then he became a big TV star with Sanford. And so, and so he got all these huge bookings that he'd never had before. And so, and he would go, and people would come with their families because they wanted to see Fred Sanford. You know, and he would come out and say, you got to wash your ass. You know, that. <laughs> and it's like people streaming up the aisle. <laughs> And so we we constructed this show where he would come out and do stuff, funny but not dirty. And then he would say, now I'm going to bring out the lovely Miss Lola Falama, and she's going to sing for you. And when when she leaves, I'm going to come back, but it's not going to be uh, Blue Fox. It's going to be Red Fox. It's going to be Blue Fox. So if you want to stay and hear that, you can just say, after he had done like 45 minutes. Yeah. And they would, you know, stay and they would see Lola and Lola would do like a half an hour. And then he would come back out and uh, do the old material. And so everybody with kids would leave. and But they felt they'd gotten a show. So they hadn't been shortchanged. Was he great live? Oh, he was hysterical. Yeah. Did you ever see him live, Gil? Red I, Fox? No. 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 Boy, what I wouldn't have given. Is there a George Burns, before we move on from George Burns, is there a George Burns Piazzadora story? Uh, yeah, there is. <laughs> you don't have I to, feel terrible you don't telling it. You don't have to tell it. You don't have to tell it. <laughs> what about I saw you tell it somewhere. Yeah, I do it in my act sometimes, but I, I, you know, I ran into her now. And I, oh, and okay. I feel, we won't put you on the uh, spot. Feel, what about Jack Palance? Well, you know, I only knew him from the Oscars. Yeah. And, uh, he won for City Slickers and, uh, he came up and he did that, um, he did the one on push-ups. To show. Yeah, sure. But what he did before was he, uh, what people didn't realize was that he was, it was, Billy was the host and he introduced Whoopi and Whoopi came out and presented the award and Jack won and he came up and his first thing he said was, Billy Crystal, I crap bigger than him. And then he started thanking Billy for putting him in the movie and then said, you know, they all think I'm an old guy and he did the push-ups and of course that became like iconic and we were in the wings and Billy said, well, we have to go with this. I mean, first of all, he said, I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> and then he thanked me and then he, uh, he did these things. So it's hysterical. So we just kept cutting material that we were going to do. And we kept making jokes about what was going to happen. And it became a thing. We won an Emmy for it. And then the following year he came back to present. So, and Billy was hosting again. So, you know, we did a whole, a thing where he's uh uh, he's dragging the Oscar, a pyramid, like, you know, a, a, a huge... Oh, sure, I remember. He's dragging it. He's wearing a harness and bringing the whole thing on and all that. So, I mean, that's been my only experience with him, but I remember Billy uh, telling me that, you know, he's he's really quite scary. <laughs> We've <laughs> had people he tell us he's that. he's an actively scary guy. Yeah. And Billy tells a very funny story about Jack Pounce going up to him on the first day and looking at him and saying, don't be nervous. <laughs> 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 and he was towering. I mean, he was towering. We've had people in here who said he was intimidating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think 
I think. And so when you see him in that picture with Joan Crawford, you realize it really is Godzilla versus the smog monster. What's, it's, it's, what? Can you just, speaking of the Oscars, can you tell, and I know people always ask you which jokes never got on, and it's, it's probably a cliched question at this point, but can you tell the off-color Sharon Stone joke? Um, yeah, but it got on actually. It oh, was, it did. It was, it was, uh, well, there was a theme. It was the year of the woman. Gil Cates, the producer of the, those shows, loved themes and it was the year of the woman. And, um, and it, but it wasn't, it wasn't a big year for women. And the joke we had was oddly enough, the biggest part this year was Sharon Stone's. Ah. Uh. And she was. Uh, not nominated, but she was there, of course, and you know, and they shot. They went to her, and she kind of. The problem was somebody, and I, I, I don't know who to credit, put together a really incredible clip package of women in film, and it was absolutely gorgeous and and weepy. I mean, by the end of the thing, the audience was like in tears, and Billy followed that. I see. So it was the placement. It was the placement. That was the problem. It was the placement that got it, and we we all felt mortified. And uh, there was no time to change it. And uh, he, he was, you know, I think he just said, "I'll just go ahead and see." And he did it. So, it, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an obscene thing. We did have we many many years ago when um, Richard Gere was going to present, <laughs> and it was it, it was after the gerbil incident. <laughs> And uh, uh, the, we were going to introduce him uh, as uh, Richard. Richard Gere was, was going to present, and his original presenter was Fievel from An American <laughs> Tale. <laughs> but, but Fievel backed out. Full <laughs> of a joke. And, uh, and Billy, was watch, Billy said, well, Richard was sitting in the audience, and there was a camera on him. And so... He wondered, why is there a camera on me? Because I'm not nominated and I'm not. And so Billy said, look at him. He's, he's going to have a heart attack. I can't do it to him. I just can't do it. So we, we, we cut it. I also heard you say, this is funny too. I, maybe this was in the doc. Were you talking about pe- everybody that got a Life Achievement Award died? So Doris Day turned it down every year? Doris turns it down every single year. Right. Because <laughs> you get that, you die. <laughs> Myrna Loy got it. Dead. Tell Gilbert the uh, the other story that's great is is that you and Shaman are trying to do a musical number about uh, JFK. We were well, you know, Billy did those uh, film packages, the, ma- uh, the, the packages, yeah. and right. they he were all the it was uh, uh, title songs from the nominated movies. Gotcha. And of course, they had no title songs, but we would t- we would take another song and do a parody of it. And uh, the hardest was JFK because nobody wanted to be associated with the movie. Because it was Oliver Stone and it was about Kennedy sure. and all that, and so one of the ideas that we had uh, was um, uh, trouble. You got trouble right here in Dallas, <laughs> Texas, with a capital J <laughs> and it rhymes with K. There's nothing between. And it was uh, written from, from the Music Man by Meredith Wilson and sure. Mrs. Meredith Wilson, who was living in a home somewhere in in West LA. Uh, she had. Uh, the rights. And, of course. And so we had to call her and sing it. Billy and Mark at the piano <laughs> oh, had to sing it that. over the phone to I her. I love that story. And she said, very funny, boys. No way. <laughs> that was that. Right. And finally, I mean, really, we had a lot of ideas. And and one of the other things was uh, uh, 
we were working on this particular number when Maria Shriver showed up with her camera crew for her NBC show that she was doing. And she was doing a behind the scenes. And we said, uh, you know, we took her aside and said, you know, we're doing the JFK section. Maybe you want to sit this out. She said, oh, no. She said, I'm a journalist. I can take it. So she came and recorded all of this stuff. Um, and finally, when nobody would do it, uh, Billy called Sammy Kahn. And uh, he gave us three coins in the fountain. Oh, nice. Three shots in the plaza. I don't know. Right. FBI or Homer Simpson. You, you, that job is, is problem solving. It was. Yes. Yeah. It was. It was exactly. Yeah. Uh, I teased Gilbert with this over the phone. Is there a story about Joan Crawford and David Niven? Yes, there is a story. <laughs> a, a story that David Niven Jr. told me, <laughs> or maybe it's, it may have been David Niven when I interviewed. Seems him. perfect for this show somehow. Uh, after we'd had some some drinks, but uh, the story was uh, well. You know, after uh, the book came out, Mommy Dearest, uh, people started telling the Crawford stories that they'd never told. And uh, a lot of them had to do with stuff she did when she was drunk, and which was a lot. And I knew her, and I knew her. Oh, you as did a, know as her. a drinker. I, as yeah. a, I, I was a favorite interviewer of hers uh-huh. when I was a journalist, and uh, so I, I'd done several. She was always drunk in these interviews. And um, David Niven said that when he came to Hollywood, he was fixed up with her on a studio date, and uh, they went out and. Uh, it was a terrible thunderstorm, and they he came, took her home, and um, th- it was made fairly clear to him that, you know, when you went on a date with her, you wound up fucking her. So <laughs> that was what she liked. Or if you starred in the movie with her, you know, and all these guys, you know, it was, it was like part of the drill, as it were. Uh-huh. And so he said i should uh, call the people i'm staying with to tell them that i'm going to be over overnight here or late or whatever and she said you i'll slip into something comfortable and she had in the house had a, a gorgeous staircase that you probably saw in the movies that it went up to the second floor and in those days people didn't have phones in every room there was a t- there were telephone rooms in some houses there were like little phone booths off the hall and or she had a phone on a pedestal, and it was in the crook of this staircase, of the grand staircase. And so uh, he went over to use the phone, and he's calling these people, and he's uh, thinking, and, and it's like raining on him. And he said, oh, she has, must have a leak in the roof. I, I must tell her she has a leak in the roof. And he looks up to see where the leak is, and she is hanging over the banister, peeing on him. There <laughs> oh, you go, Gil. my God. <laughs> Whether deliberately or <laughs> by accident, he never knew. Said because it just—it was not—it was a good way to end the evening. He, he decided. <laughs> this is my early Christmas Crawford gift for you, Gilbert. Ping on David Niven <laughs> from is, how many this feet is above? <laughs> I don't know. High ceiling, twelve, fourteen, maybe eighteen. I mean, if it was. You, know, you didn't see A.J. Benz's reenactment? It was, a, it was a great, yeah, it was a great hall, what they call the great hall. Great hall. <laughs> I knew that would make him happy, Bruce. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, but, I know my but, co-host. Uh, he, uh, you know, it's, just, it's, it's semi-legendary, So, not, but I remember uh, it being, t- I think he told it to me in an interview, but I remember asking, I think, his son, who was a producer, David Newman Jr., was a producer, if that was a true, and he said, oh, yes, he said that was the Crawford, she peed on the Crawford him. story. Lucille Lassure? 
Lucille Lassure, right. in this case, Lassure. <laughs> uh, but she was, uh, there were many, many. I mean, I, I collected for a while stories. Oh, tell, about, about yeah, any more? Yeah, nothing as good as that. That's nothing, pretty good. Nothing as good as I mean, just, just all kind of like, kind of crazy makes that makes you believe that all the stuff that happened in the book you know with chopping down the tree and harnessing the kids and making them clean the bathroom all that stuff happened during what they call blackout drunk periods but i mean during during drunk periods that, that um because she would always start by being you know fabulous and and warm my mother used to play cards with Gertie Moskowitz, who lived down the hall from Crawford in the Imperial House in the, uh, up on the Upper East Side. And um, uh, I, she said she left. They were playing cards. They used to play. Actually, they would play at night, and she left at night, late at night, like around midnight, and went to, and there was Crawford was in the hall at midnight vacuuming the hall because it was dirty. Wow. And she was like in... Academy Awards outfit, you know, to vacuum the hall, and I'm and she said she was completely plastered, but <laughs> she said it was so. It's like you hear enough of those, and you think I don't think the 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 woman was lying a lot, you know, when she made up the, when she wrote the book. Now, now, do you know because it's connected? Do you know any Faye Dunaway stories? Oh, I know a bunch because we had the same agent and all that, but. but <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like crazy. I mean, uh, a couple of things like that when she was playing Maria Callas in, in L.A., they had a limo driver who's, who said, yeah, we're having a pool to see how many who how many telephones has she thrown at you? <laughs> but it was it was stuff like that. I, don't, I mean, I don't have anything, uh-huh. you know, that's really Betty Davis. And I know. Well, I knew her. Toward, but I knew her after, you know, towards the end. Not after I knew her before the stroke, but uh, she was just uh, she was just kind of colorful. I mean, she she said I I would would joke with her. Um, I was on a t- the midnight special. I uh, do like a politically correct thing. Uh, Bert Sugarman's midnight special. Bert Sugarman's midnight special, and we did. David Steinberg hosted the first one, and the other David Steinberg was a guest, and uh, and I was a guest, and a few other people, and. He didn't come back the second week, and I wound up hosting it. And I hosted it for two years because they uh, people stopped doing live um, television. They would they would give you their video. They didn't want to come to the studio and do a performance, so they had to fill that time that they used to have with with bands. Mm-hmm. So they did it with with the politically a kind of politically incorrect uh, model, and um, and uh, and David was on it, and. Um, we were uh, ever what we how did I start this? You were Betty Davis. I was Betty Davis. Oh, yeah. anyway, so I was on I was on that show, and I knew I was friendly with a guy who was dating Betty Davis's secretary, and he said, "You've got to meet Betty Davis. She's hysterical, and she has seen you on the Midnight Special because we were talking about it because she's up all night." So we had dinner at Betty Davis's apartment, and very cool. And uh, I came and she said, Mr. Valange, with the cigarette. And, you know, she said, I saw your television show. Wretched. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, that was an early one. We, we've done more since. She said, well, it had nowhere to go but up. <laughs> and your hair. When you come in at the beginning of the day, 
you go to your hairdresser and you say, fluff me. <laughs> And I said, well, you know, that means something else. No. Uh-huh. You're explaining to her. I don't care. You need fluffing. So it was kind of like that. Hilarious. She, she would, uh, I spent New Year's Eve with her one year, and it was during her period where she had the hats with all the buttons. And I went over and I, I just said, uh, I said, something I've always wanted to say to you, Miss Davis. Happy New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> and she was a long pause and she went, <laughs> nice, nice job. Uh, you know, I think one of the things I liked uh, that Susan Sarandon did Betty Davis yeah, on that show feud. was that Betty Davis would would do Betty. She had she would pull out the Betty Davis character when she needed it. I see. And, but you could have a real conversation with her. I mean, aside, and uh, Sarandon did that on on that show too. Crawford was always Crawford. She was always in character. I never caught her when she was. You know, being offhand or anything like that. I was glad to see that show that somebody was making in this day and age is making a show. Well, Ryan Murphy. Yeah, right. Robert Aldrich. Now he's resuscitated Vogue. Yes. Ball culture and all that. And wasn't uh, Joan Crawford in like stag films? Well, that was the story that she had done a a picture with a donkey in Tijuana. Yeah. (laughs) And there are a million versions of it on the on the Internet that claim that that's it. But right. I, 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 I don't know. Well, speaking of we never spoke, we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Speaking of off-color stories, where do you stand on the Paul Lynn uh, Gold Diggers dressing room story? Because we've heard different versions of it. What was? I don't know that. Oh, where he said Peter uh, Marshall tells it. He, oh, ah. he walks into the dressing room and he goes, "This, the way oh, I that, oh, yeah. yeah, okay." Well, I. Uh, it could that could be. I tell that story differently because I had a, a similar a thing. Maybe he was repeating it. You tell. Well, we were playing Houston, the Arena Theater, which was brand new, and there was uh, uh, the dressing room was a trailer parked over a septic tank, and uh, this was his act we were doing, and uh, with with Roz Kelly and Mimi Hines and a bunch of people, and he was putting his makeup on, and he had the you know one of his young uh, uh, nephews with him. This one was named Zach. They were, they were all named Chad. One of his nephews. Yes. Chad and Dash and things like that. They, were all, they all looked faintly Hitler youth. And, uh, uh, and he was putting his makeup on, and, he's, and I walked in, and he said, Harold, this trailer smells like a cunt, I think. That's the same story? That's the same story. Yes. But now it's very interesting because there are several versions of it. Yeah. But he actually said now now whether it may not have been the first time he said it. <laughs> he may have said, ah, I came in and here's a chance. Because it really did stink to high heaven. Peter I mean, Marshall was, says it happened to him in the Gold Diggers dressing room. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, I using the same because recycl- I remember we did we we talked about the Rockettes dressing room smelling like a sushi bar. <laughs> <laughs> and you you wrote quips for him for Hollywood for the, I did. For the old Hollywood I did. squares. I, well we were doing Donnie and Marie. And he would uh, then they at those days they would do squares at night because that's when people were available rather than asking them to do it on the weekend. And so uh, they would do like one three shows one night and two shows another night. And he was leaving ABC going to NBC to shoot it. And he said, "Come with me to squares. I haven't got shit." And we would 
go th- and went through the questions and wrote some jokes. And that way I would do that periodically for him. And that was towards the end of, well, it was uh, the, the end of squares. I mean, it was, uh, uh, it was the late seventies, but, um, so I did write for, I wrote Donnie Marie stuff for him and then right. I wrote some squares. Right. Stuff for him. I think it's fun that, that to, to know that he would have gotten a kick out of people talking about him. Oh this, yeah. This, all these, as you said, 40 years later, Absolutely. he would have just been completely stunned. Yeah. Gil, did you meet him? Never met him. You never met Paul Lind. No. You met Vincent Price. I met Vincent Price twice. And he also lost a part to Billy Barty. Yeah. Which he likes to which he likes to dine out on. Yeah. (laughs) Do you you have anything else for Bruce? Lost a part to Nell Carter. Did you? (laughs) I did. I seriously did. It was it was as you might expect. I love it. I love it. It was a fantasy. We're going a different way. What way is that? Nell Carter. Oh. It was uh, a go- a ghost. It was a a, a, a strange ectoplasmic spirit and a, a pilot that never happens. It, it was. Uh, it was strange, uh, okay, strange. as we wrap, Bruce, I got a, Rapping. I got a couple here. We already talked about Wayne Newton at SeaWorld, which I must get my hands on. Uh, and Las Vegas and All Star seventy fifth anniversary special. Yeah, I did that. that did was, you uh, work with a Rat Pack? Did you work with Dean and Jerry and uh, Sinatra? They were on it. They were all on it. It was a George Slaughter production, yeah. yes. And they were all was was Frank on it? Well, it's, well, on the IMD, maybe it was clips. Tom Jones, Rickles, Shecky, yeah, they even were, Gallagher. That yes, they were all they were all there. And Dean was on. Dean and Sammy were on it. I remember that. Yeah. Um, it, it was great. It was at the convention center and it was, uh, um, I mean, it was one of those bogus things, you know, a, con- a high concept show. Right, right, right. You right. get a whole bunch of guys on the thing, but uh, everybody kind of came in and did their their thing and, and went out. It wasn't, um, they, nobody hung out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would love to say that. Yeah, we were in Vegas. It was all oh, that kind of stuff. Okay. I got one of three wild cards for you and you can, Ooh. you can pick, um, <clears throat> You can tell us about being in Ice Pirates. Ooh. Ooh. That's another, another epic up there with Star Wars. Or you can talk about writing. You said you've, you've, you, you like to say you've written for every combination of Sonny and Cher. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Including Sonny's Comedy Review. Brilliant. Which I, I mean, will never forget. Which was opposite Cher. The, the, the Sonny, well, not opposite, but at the same time they had, each had individual shows. And then they went back to do, uh, they went back to do to work together because they hadn't they hadn't had or he hadn't had success or there was something I mean they I forget what the timeline was but he uh, he had his own show and uh, I used to joke uh, that he was on ABC because uh, uh, if it's it takes a village oh no this is the if TV is the global village and he's the global village idiot. <laughs> He tried so hard. He did. It was- I, I remember hearing, like, because, you know, and the big news story was that Chastity Bono is a lesbian. And right. I remember, and, and Cher went out and said, you know, how shocked. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing that she was a big lesbian years before this ever hit the news. Well, yeah. I mean, she was... She was a, she was a, a tomboy, and she was a very butch girl. <laughs> but she was at the time a rock and roller. She was not a successful rock and roller. No, 
But she was very much in the Melissa Etheridge vein. She wasn't heavy. She was in the Melissa Etheridge vein of, of, of rock singers. It just didn't take. And then she decided to come out and, and kind of give up the performing career. And she went to work for GLAAD as, as their communications person and all that. And so uh, I, I think probably Cher was, I don't know, how can I say? I mean, she's the mother and she probably knew, but... Um, Must have been a weird childhood for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was very, yeah, yeah, it was very, because she was, I mean, here she is with this, with the mother who's a mannequin and. and Married out on stage too as yeah, a prop. They, right. They oh, made yes. It, yeah. big deal. That yeah. used to be scary. Yeah. I mean, she was adorable. She was cute, but yeah. uh, she was never comfortable in that role. And, uh, but she did a very funny thing after that. Some years later, she started, she did a couple of big gay fundraisers. And she said, I'm doing this uh, to make amends to my my daughter. She said, because when she told me she was a lesbian, I did a very unshare thing. And I, I, I regret it. It was not a share reaction. You know, and it was bizarre because she was talking about share in right, the third the person. The third person, right. But share the There character. really is no third person. I mean, share is share. She's share dressed up and she's share, you know, in mufti, if that's what I want to say. But it's always the, the attitude is exactly the same. I mean, she you, and she shoots from the hip and she calls him as she sees him and all those cliches. I mean, last week she gave somebody an interview. She went to see the musical about her that's trying out. And oh, I saw that. And she said yeah. some of it's great, but they, some of it needs work. It could use a few more jokes. And uh, but I had a good time watching. It. I mean, you know, obviously <laughs> she's getting money over this thing, but yeah, yeah. it was a very share thing to do. It was like, hey, I'm telling you what I thought. It's going to get better. You know, because she doesn't want to say it's fabulous, it's great, and then reviews come out that are not terrific. So it will get there, I'm sure. But it's just I thought it was yeah an interesting. We had and, one of the Hudson brothers on. We had Mark, Mark Hudson, Mark who's Hudson. a lot of fun. And yeah, he he, he had a story that Cher used to hold auditions for her next boyfriend <laughs> in the house. Oh, that's good. While he I was in the house. Oh yeah. yeah. While he. But, was he one of the? Uh, I guess they had a, 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 a dalliance, but I think they they were more friends than anything. I guess. Yeah, he's he was friends with guy. one of her boy. He is probably still friends with Josh Donnan, who was one of her boyfriends. He's very funny. Before uh, Bagel Boy came in, but but Bagel Boy apparently is a character. Rob Camilleri is a character in, in the share musical, musical. Yeah, I don't know uh-huh. that the other any of the other boyfriends are uh, are characters. We didn't even get to bet, but Gilbert and I found oh, it uh, uh, very entertaining. Oh, the uh, the whole idea that um, uh, old, old Red Hair is back, that she only wanted one guest, and it was Olivier, and he agreed to do it. That's right. Yeah. He did. That is interesting. I know. He did. And, and then he called and said that he had to go do the boys from Brazil. One of he Gilbert's said, I, favorites. He said, I'm an old man. I need the money. Yeah. He said, I'm going to go hunt Nazis in <laughs> South America. But the, but getting Hoffman as a, as a substitute well, worked well worked out well. She, you know— she had met him through Hoffman. Right. They were shooting Marathon Man, and uh, Dustin brought him to see her. We were playing L.A. at the time, the Drive the Channel Pavilion, and he came back. We were, like, doing six nights, and he came back for every night. He was totally taken with her and um, and said he would do it. You know, he said he would any ch- opportunity. In fact, there was um, – there at one point, they were going to do a big TV version of a, a – the second show from Anthony Newley and Leslie Brickus, I have to stop the world, I want to get off with mm-hmm. it. And the second one was called The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd. And it's a lousy show with a phenomenal score. 
and they were going to do that. It was Cyril Richard and Anthony Newley, and it was going to be Olivier and Bette. And, and the, the Anthony Newley character is like a cockney, mm-hmm. could be a woman, could be a boy. Interesting. A and, um, uh, and it just never happened. It was just, it was a, the material was like a little too rarefied. But uh, he said he would do this, and then, and then he couldn't do it. And so Dustin said, I'll step in. And do it, and we really we won the Emmy for that show, so it, it worked out very well. It's a I remember show. it. Yes, I remember it's it. A really good show. What else do you have, Gil? Oh, I don't know. I've gone through almost every card. I will. Yeah. Wow. I will say this. I love. I want our listeners, and we have many of them to 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 uh, find Bruce's documentary, Get Bruce, which is great, full of stories. Yes, I also enjoyed your book. Well, that was, you know, I was on Hollywood Squares and I got a lot of book offers. I didn't have a book at the time. I couldn't sit down and write one at the time. So I collected a bunch of articles and things I'd written for magazines. And, yeah. You know, and then watches as, as it got reviewed like I deliberately published this thing. This, oh, there were this, fun this, stories in there. Yeah, that's what I Yeah. And it was fine. I mean, that's what happens. And now I'm working on another, a book book. I was just going to ask you what's up now. Oh, yeah, what well, I've written a musical, which is... Um, with all of Petula Clark's music. Oh, we love Petula and, Clark. Um, crazy. She's oh, 85. Sign and, of the Times. Yep, that's the title. Oh, Sign my God, I love that. And we're going to do it in Wilmington at the Delaware Theater Center. Uh, we open November 20th for six weeks. And this is, we've done a, a few regional theater productions. Of Wonderful. It, so refining it. Did you love playing yeah, Edna in oh, Hairspray? Oh, the greatest. It was my, the most fun ever. Yeah. How many shows did you do? 778. Good Lord. But who's counting? I mean, it was two years. What a work ethic. It was two, yeah, it was. It was. It, it hit an OCD button. You're complaining so, about oh, going up on stage two nights a week. Yes. This yeah. man did 770 shows. Well, you know, you get into that harness. It's getting into the harness that's the hard part. Once you're in it, it's great fun. Well, you I mean, hit- Bet, Bet does a hilarious thing, which I hope. She will film like vaudeville about, performers. About, Hello, Dolly! About yeah. about getting herself up the staircase to do the number, like at the end of the week after the eighth time she's doing it, mm-hmm. and falling hand over, <laughs> and then the light comes on and boom, it's Dolly! But it's it's, it's hysterical. But that's it, what it's like. I mean, it it. You do the same thing over, and you find a way to make it fresh for yourself. Of course, but it's physically exhausting because you know it's repetitive. It must have been, yeah. And but but stage actors, that's what they do. I mean, did you have? And we talked about Gilbert. Talked to Gilbert about this same thing. Did you get the high and then have a hard time coming down sometimes after a show? Oh yeah, because you just yeah you you come off and you're totally exhilarated. Exhilarated. It's like when I get off stage, I I totally understand. Why some people get into drugs? Oh yeah, I, I'm with you. I totally get it because you want you want to preserve that that yeah. great feeling when it's when it was a good night when it's worked well yeah. and all that. But it is it's exhilarating. It's hard to just come down from it, and it's also difficult to be with people who haven't had that experience, and so you wind up. You know, seeking out people who, you know, that's why actors meet each other after the show. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, because they're all sharing that thing. Go to Joe Allen's and, that's right. and, and drink yeah. till four o'clock mm-hmm. so you don't have to go home. And I, I always remember watching a talk show where uh, Lauren Bacall was on and she was doing a Broadway show. And she said she, she would get the uh, adulation and the cheers and then go back to her hotel and be sitting by herself. That, well, it's common. We know that's yeah. common. You know, that was 
part of you know what, what killed Janis Joplin, I think, is that she was the only female rock star who got that kind of reception. And then there was nobody there when she came off after 20,000 people were screaming. There was no one person. She tried to find one person, but it never really worked out. But yeah, it's uh, it's an amazing thing to suddenly have that, all of that, and then it, it boils down to, okay, I'll get a cab now. And, oh, I just got a flashback of one story. You probably wrote this for her. Yeah. Uh, Melissa Gilbert was on uh, Hollywood Squares. Yes. Granddaughter of Harry Crane. Oh. <laughs> the legendary comedy writer, Harry Crane. I have a great Harry Crane story. <laughs> so Melissa oh, Gilbert's line was, if I married Gilbert Gottfried, would I be Melissa Gilbert Gilbert Gottfried? <laughs> yeah. And and you were on this show, and you said you'd be the happiest woman in the world. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I'd spoken to the staff at the comedy store. I knew. Fantastic. I knew. <laughs> Harry Crane and I wrote the first People's Choice Awards. Okay. Whenever that was. Uh, uh, and I was like the young writer. And he was the, the old pro. His, his, and, his reputation precedes him. I, I couldn't even remember who hosted it, but we were, um, we were, I was, you know, I, I was bitching about something about, you know, this, this guy wouldn't do this material and it wouldn't work and all that kind of stuff. And he said, hey, when you come across one of those, do what I do. I take the check <laughs> and I put the check on the passenger seat of the Mercedes. <laughs> and I drive down Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> and I come to a light and I look and there's a person waiting for a bus. And I look at the person and I look at the check <laughs> and I sing zippity doo da zippity day. <laughs> That. That's for you, Gil. That's that's advice you need to follow. I, I as as Sophie Tucker said, I will never forget it. That is great, Harry Crane. What a legend! Oh yeah, he was. He was. I mean, then he was writing Stephen Eady, and uh, but he was like one of the original of the, those guys who wrote this kind of stuff, who wrote right. variety shows, right, 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 when there was a lot of variety shows. Isn't that great? <laughs> Look at the person. <laughs> so you're working on the Petula Clark musical, Petula which is Clark, soon to happen. You, yes. another, did I hear another book? I'm writing another one, but it's, you know, okay. it's taken. I and want it, it to be like a David Sedaris book. You okay. know? Great. You're I the mean, perfect person to do that. Essays, fiction, nonfiction. I don't want it to be in the, you know, another like, uh, okay. And then I wrote the, the People's Choice Awards. You know, I, I wanted to have right. something more. Right. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that Arnie Kogan said, please thank Bruce for letting uh, for not letting the band play Jay, his son, off stage when he was making his Emmy. Oh, that's funny. I remember that. Yeah. That you were in the control room I saying, was. let him, I, let him I, talk. I, no, no, you can't. This is Jay Kogan. Yeah. And he appreciates what did, that. What did he win? Was he a Simpsons? What did he... he was winning for Frasier. Oh, for Frasier. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we did a Father's Day show with uh, Jay and Arnie. Ah, And they okay. were a lot of fun. There's so much crossover here. We had Jay and Arnie, and he was. Donnie and Marie, and oh, then we yeah. had we had Sid and Marty, and they said say hello to Bruce, and now you're here to give a different perspective. 
on those one shows. One day do a whole chart. A flow uh, chart of our yes. guests? I yeah. think, yeah. When you do 200 and some odd of these, you know, it's, well, it's yeah. funny how people, everybody intersects. Six degrees, they're all. You all kind of bleed into each yeah. other. <laughs> and this one's purely for Gilbert. Okay. And you don't have to tell it if you don't want to, but okay. is there a Tallulah Bankhead story? Oh, there are several, but yeah. <laughs> I, but I, I, this is a gift. For I, I hardly tell it because you know I have to explain who she was. Not oh well, our audience, listeners know. But uh, well, if I do it on stage, but I was in a summer stock with her. I was in a production called of a play called Murder on the Rocks, sometimes called The House on the Rocks, and it was a uh, um, it, it was kind of a ridiculous sort of melodrama, and I was playing the butler and I was very young and I was like 14 and I was had a deep voice and all that and but you know they were casting on the cheap and it, we toured all of these wherever there were nice young men who sold antiques we played mostly <laughs> barn theaters on Cape Cod <laughs> the same and they, were, they were kind of ecstatic and it's, it's a long it's a long story but we played as I recall it was the Tap NZ Playhouse up the river and um, uh, it was um it was a star. Uh, there was always a star in in whatever the production was, and Helen Hayes lived uh, at Nyack, where the theater was, and uh, Tallulah did not care for Helen Hayes, and we never were sure. You know, when you would talk to Tallulah, you couldn't quite make out what she was saying. You'd say, uh, "This is lovely." And you'd, uh, you'd say, "It's weather." <laughs> And I say we thought you might go say Helen So you just say okay, Ixnay on the Ellen Hay. But you, talking to her was like like talking to your dog, and your dog is kind of going uh, <laughs> tilts its head, kind of gleaming what you're saying, <laughs> tilting its head. And um, so so we we would we would learn not to to tread too heavily. And um, they kept trying to get her to go up to uh, to have to meet Helen, and finally on the last day she relented. And she went up and she had a bite between shows with Helen. And she came back and uh, she looked a little green, a little bilious. And the guy who worked for her, uh, I, I said, how was it? And he said, oh, it was rest. The food was terrible, revolting. Tallulah has such gas. <laughs> and so she got through the first act and she was saying, I and then we go out to the gold. <laughs> and then the second act, the top of the second act, it was kind of a period thing. She wore hoop skirts. And the, the top of the second act, the curtain went up and she was discovered downstage center, sort of squatting over the prompter's box where she belonged, you know. And she was in a pose. And uh, before she could say anything, she let out with the longest... <laughs> Loudest, most vivid fart in the English-speaking stage. Her skirt billowed up. The air turned blue in her vicinity. He enjoys this. And the audience began like, they all heard it. I mean, yeah. well, we could hear it. I was in the third floor, and I heard it on the PA. Oh, my God, she cut the cheese. We ran downstairs. What's she going to do? And the audience is now, like, tittering, and they're laughing. And now it becomes, uh, you know, a wave of laughter. <laughs> and it's now, now it's hysterical. Now they're, oh, my God, she cut the 
can't believe this surprise, man. And, and she just stands there, just majestically, <laughs> Spartan in her bravery. And and the it all dies down, and she's now alone, and she just turns very grandly and says, that one was for Helen. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> You've got to write another book. She was quite a fabulous. She was quite, quite, yeah. Her, the other a joke that she, that she said, uh, she would tell me whether, she would tell me famous stories about her and then stuff that was true and all that. But um, there was a, she was, I was reading the paper and on the train between one of these places and the other. And it said, um, it said uh, six uh, out of every uh, one, uh, uh, wait, what is it? Um, oh, one out of every seven Americans is carrying a weapon, and a, a gun is carrying a gun. And she looked at this and said, "You know what this means, don't you, darling? One of the Lennon sisters is packing a rod." <laughs> That's <a> fantastic line. <laughs> She must have she, been hilarious. She was. She was very funny, and but she was also drunk a lot. <laughs> but at, this, at that point, she wasn't around too much longer after that. It's funny we talk about this flowchart of the of of names. You you are a link to so much classic I, Hollywood. I a, yeah, to, 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 I mean, how many people knew Tallulah Bankhead uh, and, and Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and interacted? Well, you know, people, somebody said, "How old are you?" And I said, "Well, you're, it's you're not, not that old." I was very young yes. when I worked with them. They were very old. Yes, I was very, or they went that very old but they were at the end of their careers at the end of their lives old or not but uh, so it was it was that kind of confluence not many people have worked with Tallulah Bankhead and Gallagher <laughs> <laughs> it's true although you wouldn't have done badly with tarp around Tallulah <laughs> at a certain point it could get messy Gilbert will not soon get over that Joan Crawford, David Niven story. Boy, Bruce. Well, that is a good. great well, one. You know, I want to yeah. Hear it back. Yeah. Now I'll hear from David Niven Jr. I didn't mean it. <laughs> Let this man go home. Okay. All right. Thank you for coming Thank here you. and doing Thank this. God, I and it's it's true. The <laughs> when that when I was on Hollywood Squares with you, those were like the. The jobs that I didn't consider jobs. Yeah, yeah, sure, because they were fun. They were just fun, and and it was it was a party. Yeah, you know, it was, Whoopi uh, tells me all the time how much fun you guys had, and I'm had so I'm so it was, envious. It was a day, you know. You showed up in the morning, and there was breakfast, and and then you did we did three shows, and there was a big elaborate Wolfgang Puck catered lunch, and then two shows, and lots of wine, and, and we were out by four, but it was it was just fun and uh you'd be up there and really nobody could really act up because if they did there were like eight other people going girl pull it together or zan pulled some shit on it i forget she wasn't having having an attitude and pamela anderson i don't know had had a reduction or an enhancement or something and she was in pain <laughs> and and anna nicole smith i remember was uh also kind of out of it Props to the joke writers too. You, Dave Boone. Well, we had John we Max. Good people. Yeah, they were great. all good people. Great. And it was it was fun to write. You know, it was fun to write that stuff. It was uh, it was fun to write for people. The the funniest stuff was people who weren't. I mean, scripted who weren't funny necessarily, stumbling on something. Yeah. But, uh, 
But it was fun to write for the people who were funny to, to get like like him. Solid life. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, now I just remember that show. Yeah, it was. Uh-huh. It never felt like work to me. Yeah, it was right, just having exactly. a good time mm-hmm. there. Well, I'll be looking for that Petula Clark musical for Please sure. Do. We love her. Come on, down. and so does Dara. Come down to Wilmington. It's just two stops on the Acela. I'm going to come and see it. <laughs> Don't sleep in the subway. It's in there. So this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host Frank Santo Padre and our friend the hilarious Bruce Valen. Hilarious. Hey. Thank you. Stories all day. And into the night. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. We'd like to thank the incredibly talented kids from What's Happening. Ernest Thomas, Haywood Nelson, Fred Berry, and Danielle Spencer. Yay. Yay. And the far out sounds of Rick Dees and Disco Rilla. Hey. The man listed in the dictionary under bananas, Rip Daly. <laughs> And the lady we love to love, Ann B. Davis. <laughs> and the Croftet dancers in Water Folly. Right hey. And John Steerwalt. He- John Steerwalt. He's the guy who holds up the cards. Oh. Good night, John. You went very well. And why don't I sing now? Right. Oh, I'm going to get you, John. <laughs> right. Why don't I sing now? <laughs> I would rather be than with you, my love. And there's nothing in the world that I would rather see than your smile, my love. For united we stand, divided we fall. And if our fight should ever be against the wall, we'll be together. appearing in tonight's show were Patty Maloney, Mike Kagan, Bruce Belang, and the characters from the world of Sid and Marty Croft.